You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's now time to turn back the clock and catch up with some old friends of A's past, exclusively on A's Cast. This is Where Are They Now? Vince Catronio sits down with alumni of the Oakland Athletics to reminisce and discuss current adventures. Here's Vince Catronio. It is a great day. Another Where Are They Now episode. And today we visit with Josh Reddick, a.k.a. Spider-Man, a.k.a. the Pie Man, uh, a.k.a. one of the A's favorites over the years. Played for Oakland from 2012 to 2016. Also with the Red Sox. The Dodgers, the Astros, and the Diamondbacks, and a little bit in Mexico. We'll get to all of that as well. But first, Josh, thanks for doing this. You're living outside of Houston. How's Jet? How are the kids? Oh, yeah. We're, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we bought a uh, little place with some property out here in 2019 and moved out here after the World Series that year. Um, kind of like our dream home. It's got a nice sized house. It's got 50 acres, and it's completely surrounded by trees. So nobody can see us, which is perfect. Um, reminds me of a lot of home where, where we are. It's a lot like where I was raised in South Georgia, and um, the privacy is really, really great. So it's uh, it's phenomenal out here. But we're doing great. Boys are about to be three years old now. Um, they turn three in October, so really looking forward to that birthday party. Their parties are always a really good time of having friends and family come into town, and we always obviously go over the top with our our birthday parties because they they deserve it. And we want to make some special memories, but. Uh, we're doing great, man. We're, we're trying to travel whenever we can, as much as we can with uh, this free time, you know, obviously not being used to having this much time off, but we're, we're adjusting and, and enjoying every second of it. What made Josh Reddick a 17th round pick out of a small school in Georgia believe that you could realize a dream of 13 years in the big leagues? Uh, you know, I didn't really ever think about how long I would be there I you know it was always that dream at five years old like every little boy to to play in major league baseball and as the older I got the more reality it became to uh, be a possibility and, and as I got older I just kept striving for that and there was there was no backup plan I always get asked when I was that age you know, what, what was always your backup plan I tell everybody there wasn't one because I didn't want to have that mindset of it didn't work out I could have something to fall back on it was um I think it was Denzel Washington that said if you want to fall you want to fall forward not fall backwards. I want to see where I'm going when I fall. So I wanted to make sure that I was moving forward and focusing on that alone being the the, the goal and the mindset of, of making it to where I wanted to be. And to be blessed with almost 13 years of it was uh, pretty special. And the people and the experiences I got to have along the way just made it that much better. Josh, you were drafted by one of the storied franchises. You were drafted by the Red Sox. And you spent parts of three seasons with them, 09, 10, and 11. And in fact, uh, before you came to the Athletics, you had a walk-off hit against the Yankees in one of your games as a Red Sox, which means you had free dinner for life <laughs> in Boston. But what was the reaction for you, for a guy that was with that franchise, a team that always thought about winning first, and suddenly in December of that year, after the season was over, you find out you're becoming an Oakland Athletic? You know, it was it was a lot of a lot of ups and downs, to be honest. You know, I remember telling when I got traded, I remember telling all all the media in Oakland that. I was pretty disappointed when I got traded because I thought I solidified myself to be a right fielder for the Red Sox. I had a great year um, in 11, and, and J.D. Drew was on his way out the door and retiring, and we didn't really have any other backup plans for right field. And um, But like I said, I was getting ready to go on a cruise, I think, the next day. 
when Ben Sherrington gave me the call and the heads up and I was actually with my high school coach and mentor at the time he, we were having lunch down near his his area where he was living at the time and he was ecstatic when he found out I was traded he was he was stoked because he goes Josh you know this is a real opportunity for you to go play every day for you to you know showcase what you're about you know you, you get to just be yourself and in, in, in a small market team where you're not really focused on the spotlight a lot at 24 25 years old so he really helped me flip the script on on being excited for that opportunity coming to Oakland and once I realized that you know this is a chance for me to make the name for myself on a team that was you know supposedly rebuilding and, and trying to uh, get their name back out there I kind of just ran with it and you saw what special year we had that year and you know I can sit there and go back and say it was probably one of my top two top three most fun years in the big leagues because you went with a team full of scrubs as I like to call us and uh and really put the whooping on some teams and, and, and really surprised a lot of people around the league that year especially that last week of the season which as you know was was very memorable and, and it's pretty hard to top something like that outside of winning a world series Josh Ruddick is joining us in our where are they now episode Josh just take me back if you would to spring training of that year the conversation with Billy Bean and his belief and trust in you when he told you you're the guy. I mean, there's no worrying about maybe being a part-time player or a role player. You're going to be the right fielder. What did that mean to you? Oh, it meant everything to the world to me because, you know, I'd spent the better part of two in the last two years of, of being an up-and-down guy and going back from AAA to the big leagues, especially with a team that was as good as we were in Boston those years. Um, just made it that much better to realize, you know, I got my learning experience from some great players on those teams from the David Ortiz's to the Pedroia's to, you know, all kinds of people just taking care of me because I was the youngest guy on the team at 24. The next oldest guy was, I think, 30. And everybody was just so veteran in that clubhouse. I got to learn a lot before I came over to Oakland and, and got to learn from more guys like the Coco Crisp and the Johnny Gomes who really helped keep the, the young Josh Reddick in line. But when I was really wild and out of line and, and really didn't know how to uh, – you know, approach things and, and how to keep my mouth shut, so to speak. And um, Coco really helped me out on that front a lot. So from learning from a guy like Coco and Johnny on how to prepare every day and, and play, I think I played 156 that year. And I never really had to prepare for that many games. So whenever I got that that call from Billy to really set myself up for a guy who played every day, regardless if it was Chris Sale on the mound or, you know, Felix Hernandez on the mound, it really gave me the confidence to be able to go home after every game and mentally prepare for the next day regardless of who was on the mound and, and not having to worry about, you know, pinch hitting in the sixth or, or, or so on. And, and it really helped me not only mentally, but it helped me get ready physically as well to come to the ballpark every day ready to play. Deservedly so. Every player that was on that team, when we have conversations with them, they talk about what a special year it was. And if you look at the history of the A's franchise, a team that's won four World Series, and including three in a row in the 70s, that specific regular season may be the best regular season in Oakland history, which you were a part of. When did you get the sense that maybe something could happen this year as it did all the way down to the very end? Uh, I think I think when we started realizing as a team that we had something special was right probably after the All-Star break came around. Um, you know, once uh, mid to late August was coming around, we were starting to get on a really hot streak. And um, we made those moves. I think when, when we announced that we, we traded for Stephen Drew, I think that was really a breaking point for us to say, okay, we're, we're, we're really trying to go, go for this division and, and really try to make a run when, you know, two months ago, 
I think, gosh, two months before that, we were probably in third or fourth place at the time behind, you know, the studded angels and rangers at that, at that time. So I think we really picked it up and realized that mid, early to mid-August, um, and then when September came around, I really think we put put the pedal to the floor and really showed them what we were about. And obviously all those walk-offs helped. I mean, just what we were able to do in the late innings that year was, was pretty pretty darn special. And, you know, I think everybody had that feeling when the ninth inning rolled around. If, if we were then one or two runs or tied, we, we knew we were going to get that win. We, we knew we were going to do what it, had, what it had to be done to get that win. 14 walk-offs during the regular season. You guys added another one in the postseason. And you became kind of the uh, poster child of if somebody got a walk-off, they were going to get a special visit from Josh Reddick right. on television. Sometimes you ruin some equipment you know, for, <laughs> for the guys that were doing an interview with Ray and with Kipe upstairs. But what was the evolution of that and the ev- evolution of showing how close this team really came and why you want to be a part of it with the, with the famous pies on the field? Well, you know, the, the pie thing is just, is just, that's just old school baseball. You know, you look all around the, the past and you see guys get the shaving cream pies. And, you know, I, I remember my when I debuted in 09, David Ortiz came up to me after the game and crushed me with a, a shaving cream pie because I was doing the on-field interview on the road in Baltimore. But it was just my welcome to the big league moment. I had a great game that day. So you really just want to, you want to be the guy that gets that pie in the face after the game because one, you the team has won and you did something spectacular personally. Um, but we we just kept taking it further because you know as you can as you understand shaving cream can hurt when it gets in your eyes um, or in any other orifice for that matter you don't want shaving cream up your nose or in your mouth because it tastes horrible so um, and if you don't know the layout of our stadium which I know you and I do with with the shaving cream I would have had to sprint all the way up to the locker room sprint all the way down and by that time the interview would have been over um, so I got in connection with the concession stands right behind us and they'd always have their plates and two shaving or two whipped creams cans ready to go for me as soon as the game was over so we all kind of came together not only as a team but I think as a as a ballpark family because they looked forward to it just as much as we did and with our layout you know we could always sneak around to the visiting side and that was always another track was you know this team you just beat walking with their head down and you're trying to sneak around them with walk-offs shave you know whipped cream pies to go through the media door by the on-deck circle and sneak around so took a lot of planning a lot of uh sneaking is going around but everybody really came full circle when it came to walking off but i just wanted to reinvent something and and make it fun when when you walk off because you just you just had a great win and you just want to uh you want to have fun that was what that team was all about was having fun in different ways you know you saw about you know you see the way baseball's turned into now and then you go back then and you look at it, it wasn't really about you know bat flips and pimping homers and showing people up on the mound it was about having fun and and, and minor more minor minor ways and and in, in that regard. So we just tried to make it fun at the end of the game. Perez with a move over there and Jamile diving back. Remember that uh, Coco was picked off earlier in the game. That was in the 10th inning. And then Pennington was thrown out on the bases when the A's had that first and second situation in the fifth with nobody out. As Reddick a drive left center up the alley and that ball is going to be down and going to the wall. Weeks takes a look. He's going to third. He's rounding third. He's going to score. Reddick at second with a double and the Athletics have another walk-off win. That's the eighth walk-off win of the season for the Oakland A's and what a way to go into the All-Star break. Josh Reddick, a slicing drive up the alley in left center field, scoring Jamile Weeks from first base, 
And after almost four hours of baseball on this Sunday afternoon, in the bottom of the 13th inning, the Athletics have beaten the Mariners by the final of 2-1. to one. Josh, you play for some great fan bases. But what was your connection uh, to the folks at Oakland, the connection to the to the folks behind you up in the uh, right field bleachers and what that meant to you? It's, 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 hard, it's really hard to explain because – as a, as a player in baseball, you don't really see that kind of connection hardly anywhere in baseball. Those days, nowadays, ever. And when I came over there, it was really, you know, the first the first part was kind of tough because I remember very vaguely, they weren't really fond of me at first um, with the way things were moving. They weren't really too too excited with the with who I was out there. And um, I think just slowly as the as the years went by or as the games went by in 2012, I think that we all realized what it was about. And they, they kind of realized that I wasn't just a pushover player and I was there to show them what I was about and I was going to bust my ass to do so. And I think they became to respect that really fast that, you know, I was going to play with my hair on fire and do whatever I had to do. And the more and more we went along, we got along better. And I think everybody could understand and see how, how close we became with, um, with the way Twitter was back then. It was so much easier to interact with fans and, you know, as we as you can look now, there wasn't that many fans there, anyway. And as in, excuse me, I could have full blown conversations with them in the third inning, and they could hear every word I was saying. So, um, I think we just bought, we formed a bond out there because I'm always one. I'm always so bored in the outfield. There's nobody to talk to, and two, they made it fun because they did talk. They weren't just out there yelling and um, banging on the drum all game. They were actually talking and having a good time, and it was it was a way to help one me stay loose in the ball game and two just you know for a lonely south georgia boy in california in a completely different world it made me feel a little bit more welcome develop some friendships that to this day i still get to talk to these guys you know there's three or four people out there that i still talk to on a regular basis and um it's formed some pretty good friendships but they just made it that much easier and that much more fun and um i'm happy to call some of them my friends and was very lucky to have been able to hang out with them as well off the field, you know, go out and have some drinks with them. And then even invited a couple of them over to the place where I was staying in, in, in the season. And, you know, if we had the, the, the nice Sunday day game, Monday off day, you know, we'd, we'd have a nice grill out at the house and just hang out. And it was great because I wasn't stuck at the house by myself and, you know, bored and making bad decisions. I was actually having a good time with some people that were good people and made some good friends and, I wasn't getting into trouble, so therefore I could focus more on baseball in that regard. Josh Reddick joining us in our Where Are They Now episode. Uh, you look back on the final week of that regular season, what the club was doing, <clears throat> pushing and pushing first to get the wild card, and then you win the division on the last day. Hamilton drops the ball, et cetera. And then the, the, the playoffs hit against the Tigers. From a player's perspective, how electric was that uh, week and a half or two weeks of baseball for you? Oh gosh! I mean, if, like I said before, outside of winning a World Series, there, there's there's no better stretch than I think those two games we had, those two weeks we had there in Oakland that year. Just from going to what was it, the last six games at home where we had to win every one of them, um, and then the Rangers I think had to win two of six to even win the division. And you know, we sweep Seattle in some very close Nick ball games. You know, I can remember the last game of that Seattle series. It's tied in the eighth. Sespi hits that big homer. I come up and hit a homer that, that game to carry us over. And then the Rangers come into town. And all I remember is just the sellout crowd. Every game was sold out that day. First night getting that wild card. You know, that was obviously our first step. And that second game felt just like game six or game seven of a playoff run. 
And then obviously the twelve thirty start the next day was just I don't think I don't think I went to bed that night, but you know, we got that we got down early in that game and I remember our dugout wasn't even wasn't even bothered by it. It was like we were up eight runs already and then we just start slowly coming back and then like you said, that Hamilton fly ball and then we knew right then and there like there's our break boys, we're not gonna let up, we're gonna keep pushing them and we're gonna keep going. But I don't I don't think there's any more emotions in baseball that can match the weeks that we had those things, like I said, outside of, you know, winning a World Series title. You found out because you got a chance on a couple of occasions to go to the World Series, how hard it is to get that done. And you had three postseason runs with the Athletics, 12 and 13 and 14. 14 was short, maybe the most heartbreaking loss in <laughs> Oakland history. But, you know, the yeah. two series against the Tigers going to the limit, both times going face-to-face -face with Verlander, and then, you know, that back-and-forth affair uh, in 14, especially with John Lester, who, while everybody wants to try to paint him as the villain because you want to suspect was traded for him, and while there was something to that, still John Lester was John Lester all the way through that season, yep. and he was John Lester in that game all the way until the eighth inning. How do you look back on, on that run, those, those three years? Well, if you take Justin Verlander out of the picture, we got a really good shot at winning some World Series there. <laughs> Um, you know, I think, you know, those two years we always talk about, we always compare them to, you know, oh, man, if we can just get past Verlander, we just get past Verlander, we get past game two in 2013 in Detroit where we have, you know, I still get stuff on Twitter to this day about, you know, I think it was game two or I can't remember, it was in game whatever in Detroit. We had bases loaded, nobody out, and we couldn't put a run across. And, you know, um, just a lot of things came into play, you know, the home run that, Victor Martinez hot that hit that I would have caught that the fan interrupted, you know, Coco dropping the ball, just all kinds of factors coming to play. But, you know, I think if we take Justin Verlander out of the picture, we got, we got no problems, <laughs> but, um, and then you go to the 14, like, yeah, the 14 wild card game was, you know, after the first inning, like, Oh, this game's ours. Moss hits a homer, best pitcher in postseason history on the mound ball game. It's ours. Um, but that's just good. It shows you how crazy baseball can be. And, you know, I can still hear fans talking about that trade being what it was. But if you look at the bigger picture of that trade, yes, we all love Cespedes inside and out that clubhouse. But the trade we made for John Lester was, was probably one of the better moves we've made in recent history in, in Oakland A's. Um, because what Lester and I think what Gomes brought us back, a lot of people forget what Johnny brought to us back in that, in that clubhouse in that 14 run because we were in a stretch where we couldn't catch a break, we couldn't catch a win. Um, you get Johnny Gomes coming in there, lighting the clubhouse up, seeing what he can do, picking up our spirits. Bam, we start winning, getting the wild card. And then just, you know, stuff hits the fan. Baseball becomes a weird game. And we saw what could happen in a heartbeat, no matter who you are. And that's what it is about the postseason is whoever gets hot is going to win it. I mean, you look at what the Washington Nationals did in 2019 to us. I mean, they started out, what, 19 and 35 in their season. And they end up going and winning World Series in game seven. So, it's like Kevin Garnett said, anything's possible in any given moment. And sometimes you just got to be on the heartbreaking side of things. And that's just the way it worked for us in 14. And um, all we can do is look back now and say, man, that was probably one of the greatest postseason games in the history of the game. So happy to be a part of it as much as a roller coaster ride it was and being able to walk off the field after a loss. But um, you look back at those games and you build off it and you become a better person and a better player from it. You had some great moments for the Athletics. You won a gold glove in 12. You had some tremendous throws, great catches. You also became a superhero with this, uh, the, uh, the alter ego of Spider-Man. Snyder 
Drives with the right. Redick up to the wall. And <laughs> he caught it. Wow. <laughs> he scaled the wall but didn't have to. It looked good. It looked great, but I'm glad he caught it considering how far he went up the fence. Check out Spider-Man. <laughs> That's right. Do a birdie, Spider-Man. Uh, walk me through climbing the walls, especially like in Toronto. You did it in, even in spring training. You're doing that against the Giants. So how this evolved to the point where you're actually wearing Spider-Man clothes under your jersey from time to time. Absolutely. Yeah, there's not a day goes by now when I play a game without that shirt. So I got probably 10 to 12 Spider-Man compression shirts underneath in, in my in my closet right now. So I'm always ready. But um, yeah, you know, I love telling this story because Spider-Man was always a, a staple as a kid. He was my favorite growing up and kind of fell out of it. But, um, you know, as the years went older, even in the minors, before, you know, we had all these this media coverage of plays where I was catching balls at the fence and climbing chain link. You know, it was always fun to be able to rob a homer. I mean, who doesn't want to rob homers? That's what we dream of in the backyard, throwing the ball up and jumping over your own fence. So, um, yeah, it all just kind of came together in that Toronto catch when I made that play and didn't really need to jump. But if you look if you look back at the video, I have Jerry Blevins yelling at me in my ear at the fence line telling, you got to jump. And so I jump, and by the time I realize it's too late that I didn't need to jump, I couldn't let go. And so I just did my best to hang on and catch it chest high. And um, like you, I think I think it was was it your words that made said the Spider-Man grab? I can't remember who it was, but um, before then I'd always wore the compression, like I think it was just a black one normally or whatever the team colors were. And after that catch, I, I just got on Google and <clears throat> Googled Spider-Man compression. And that was the end of that story. And ever since then, it's been a Spider-Man shirt. But, um, you know, there's no better feeling in the world in a, in a baseball game, I think, than robbing a home run unless you hit a walk-off home run. And that's one of the things, <clears throat> me personally, I've never done. So I really don't know what it feels like. But I've been told that it's always cooler to rob a home run than it is to hit one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just robbing home runs is just so much fun. And any chance you get, you know, I'm going to try to do it, whether I have to climb the wall, chain link the wall, if I got to, you know, backflip over that thing to catch it. I'm going to do what I can to help save that run. You leave the A's. You're traded uh, at the deadline at 16 to the Dodgers. You finish the season then. And then you you sign with Houston. You, you Every player wants to know what it's like to be in free agency. You found out what that was like, and you've got an opportunity to, to go to that organization, and you played them play with them for four years. You mentioned the World Series runs in 17 to 19. Uh, what do you look back on uh, fondly with uh, those years with Houston? Oh, man, I think, I think you look back at just not only the two years of the World Series, but the four-year stretch we've had, we had with that team was pretty spectacular. I mean, obviously winning it all is, is something that you, you look back on and, and, you, and you really love. But you look back at the 2019 team and what we were able to do then, and it's probably one of the best teams ever put together in baseball history. So to look past that and look at that lineup, and what we had on the mound that year. I mean, you look at it, it goes, man, on paper, these guys should have won the World Series in four straight games. But um, just being a part of those those four teams and those four years of, you know, four straight championship divisions or championship series runs, two World Series runs, I think it was a four straight year, you know, three straight years of 100 wins because you take away the COVID year, um, three straight years of 100 wins. You know, it's just pretty spectacular when you get to come to the ballpark every day and not just think about winning, but knowing you're going to win. And then you get to go to the ballpark every day with that kind of that kind of attitude. And you go home every day, and if you lose, you feel like the end of the world because, man, how did this team just lose? Um, 
but not only that, the winning and the lossing, but the, the, the people that you've, I've, I've, been, I've been able to share the locker room with, and not only in Houston. I mean, I, I could go over the list of great teammates I had in Oakland, even some great teammates I had in Boston, the short stint I had with the Dodgers, which wasn't my most memorable experience in baseball. I made some great friends there, some, some great teammates and some fun games. Um, but these guys here in Houston, you know, it's just being a part of that, that special run makes it that much easier to get along, to have, you know, that ride to the ballpark every day. And then once that game starts, it makes it a whole lot easier just being with the guys that you're with every day. It just made the game that much easier because you weren't really worried about winning because you knew you were going to win. Josh, you've always been a straight shooter. And unfairly or unfairly, your team in 17 was singled out. You you know, as people looked at the way the game was played or the way the game was investigated or the way the game was was uh, scouted, if you will. Uh, a lot of teams were looking for advantages. They they do to this day, even with Pitchcom and even with different ways to try to feel like you've covered every base. It's impossible to do that. It's It's been a part of the game. But some people looked at when technology came into the game that other clubs were using that as an advantage. How do you look back on that? Do you, it's, is it uh, something where you still take out that World Series rate from 17 proudly? Look back on that season proudly? How do you, how do you review that? I do, yes. I have no problems wearing my World Series ring and talking about being a World Series winner that year because, as you said, as much as technology was being used that year, we became the scapegoat of everything about it because, you know, and it's not about, you know, getting caught. You know, we obviously had some situations where, you know, we, we were tattletailed on and, you know, that we won't even get into that individual because that was his choice and he can live with that however he wants to and, you know, and – you know, the worst part about it for me was when he was the one who told us he was the one who he wasn't so innocent because he was helping as well. And that and, that, and it sucks because that side of the story never comes out because his, he, him, the individual, was just as much guilty as helping out as he was. So I don't I don't want people to think that he was some kind of hero. And I know he's he was pretty, uh, pretty big in, in the Oakland fan base as well for that. But um, make no mistake, Mike Fires was 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 not an innocent guy. He was one of the guys helping hit that trash can with the bat as well. And um, but like I said, you know what we did was wrong, and what a lot of other teams have done was wrong. And um, personally, I can sit there and sleep with my head every night, going, you know, Josh Reddick didn't use the system. I didn't, and I can I will take that to my grave. It's the truth. Um, do I feel bad about what happened? Yes, because it it, it really is integrity of the game, and you know I didn't do anything to stop it. But at the same time, when you look around the league, and um, nobody else was brought out to the open about it but we as players know what goes on behind closed doors and we know that we weren't the only team doing something that wasn't supposed to be done so to speak and we we can leave it at that and there's teams that you know got away with a lot of stuff and didn't get made public about it and their fan bases are just too oblivious to the truth but that's where we'll leave that and like I said 17 was definitely a different year but I, I will definitely take every opportunity to say that we earned that that ring because some of the teams we played we're doing similar things that we were so that we we just got a uh, we just got caught that's all Josh you, you finished your major league career at the Diamondbacks in 21 
And you certainly felt like you still had something left in the tank because not many guys that have been to two World Series, been to a bunch of playoff games, go to play winter ball like you yep. did in the Dominican. And then you turn around this year, even in 2022, you're down in Monclova playing in the Mexican League. What what drove you to want to do that? And were you just looking for that? I wanted to maybe try to find out on my own terms that this was going to be the last I was going to play. If that's the case, let me find out on my own. Why did you make those decisions? Well, I'll be straight up honest with you, Vince. I still think I got plenty in the tank right now to play in the Major League Baseball games. Um, it's just, you know, the way the game's going now, it's not pushing the favor of the old players like it used to. Um, and that sucks because personally, I feel like I had enough juice to play until I was 40. Um, but, you know, yeah, I just, I just wanted to play. I mean, that was really all it was about. I just wanted to play baseball and play it as much as I can. And, and I thought going to, you know, winter ball in the Mexican League could be my last shot at really, you know, performing and getting the attention of some MLB people to make them realize that, you know, I may be older in the game, but I can still do a lot better than a lot of people that they, they're putting on the field right now. And I still believe that. I still believe there's so many spots available for a player like Josh Reddick to be on a major league roster um, to be able to get it done because I, I just, I can't fathom the way that the game's going with, you know, oh, let's be completely happy with a guy hitting 210 but he's going to hit 35 homers and drive in 67 RBIs. I, I just can't – I can't accept that. I, I just – it just blows my mind that that's the way the game's going, and, it, and it's frustrating. But um, when it comes down to it, it was just about playing baseball. And you see a lot of guys down there in the Mexican League. You know, I was playing alongside Pablo Sandoval. I was playing against, you know, some guys like, you know, Bruce Maxwell who was down there and some guys – you see guys all around down there that, you know – aren't necessarily in the league anymore and, and they're trying to just go down there and play baseball and that's what I hear the most common factor from all those guys is I just wanted to play baseball and keep it as much as I can heck I was in the Dominican talking to Albert Pujols a Hall of Famer who was playing in the Dominican Winter Ball League just because he knew this was going to be his last year and he wanted to be absolutely ready so it just goes to show you that if you want to play the game there's plenty of opportunities and places for you to play it and there's plenty of teams that are willing to give you that opportunity Josh, as we wind down our conversation, I can't thank you enough for the great stories. Uh, the, one of the things that we learned about you and your family from Georgia with your dad and the uh, the accident that caused him to lose part of his arm and how you guys still work together. He was like your baseball coach year in and year out, and we all were saddened by the loss of Ray Fossey, certainly. And maybe you can help put in perspective for us from the players' side of the fence what it was like to interact with Ray on a regular basis. What it was like to just to do – you know, not only just do the interviews, but the way that he wanted to make you feel like you were a special player, you were a special yeah. part of the A's organization. Well, man, the best thing you can say about Ray is there was never a there was never a day that went by where he didn't have a smile on his face. And like you said, if he was talking to you, interview or one on one, he made you feel like you were the best player on the field that day. And you know, I, I could always remember the catchphrases. You know, there, that's the man right there. That's the man. You're the man right there, Red. You know, that's, you're my, there's my you're the best one. There, that's my idol right there, and just the, the best handshakes on the planet. Just big old oven mitts for hands, always squeezing you with authority. But he always made you feel like you were the best player, and I love that about him because who doesn't want to feel good about themselves on the field? And two, he and I could relate so well to one another because off the off the recording, on the recording, we could tell you how it was. He wasn't going to beat around the bush. He was straightforward. And, um, and, and the thing I love most about Ray is I'll sit, you know, I, can, I can sit back and pull up highlights all the time. And if Ray's on the broadcast, my favorite thing about him is if I got a hit off of a lefty or did something good off of a lefty, it was always, 
where Reddick drives in a run and blah, blah, blah. And at the very end of the sentence, right when nobody was talking, he goes, against the lefty. And that was always one of my favorite things about him because, as you know, as the lefty-lefty debate became a big thing in my career there, that uh, Ray was on my side 100%. And he was always like, I don't care who's on the mound. I want you in there because, you know, your leftiness, I don't care. It's going to break up. It's going to do this and do that. So um, a lot of great memories of Ray Fossey. And just somebody I will always love and cherish and think about all the time. And when I think about my time in Oakland, he's going to be one that pops up a lot. He cared about family too, didn't he? I mean, he always asked about he family. He did. He always was checking about how how my dad was, how my mom was, how everything was going on back home, and making sure my mind was right. And um, and I always made sure I told him to tell him hello. He always made you tell him tell him I said hello, man. I'd love to see him again. I can't wait to talk to them. And you know, when they're in town, let me know. I'll go talk to him in the stands and everything. He always made it so personal. And it was always a, a very good friend, not only to the players, but made sure he reached out to their families and let them know what was what what he was about. Josh, I can't thank you enough. As you sit in your in your leather chair with the Georgia Bulldog behind you, the big emblem, you always brought the helmet into the clubhouse. Yep. You, we finally got over the hump. Yes, I was going to say, where were you for the national championship? Oh well, I was actually in Hawaii. Um, my wife and I we bought a house in Hawaii last year, last summer, and. Um, the lava flow on the other side of the island was very active. So she, she made me get up and, and make the drive across the island. And granted, great experience. The lava was fantastic, but I think um, I was pretty stoked. You know, I, we were walking down to, to where it was, and as soon as they had that pick six, we knew it was over. I just started screaming and was ecstatic. The only place I'd rather be was at, was at the event, but uh, it was pretty spectacular. Because the last time they went to the national championship, I was in Hawaii, and they did that whole walk-off. So... Pretty spectacular, and I was pretty excited we finally were able to get over that hump of Alabama. <laughs> well, best to you and Jet. All the best for Mav and Ryder. Like you said, they they grow up fast. And I uh, uh, can't thank you enough for spending some time with us, Josh. It's been a great memory ride, and uh, all the best. Hope to see you at some point down the road. Same, Vince. Anytime you need me, ask me. Come on, and I'll enjoy it, man. Tell everybody I said hello. Where are they now with A's outfielder Josh Reddick? This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.